feels like it's been forever since I've been up in the sanctuary. I've been down in children's ministry now since we relaunched in June. Um, seems like just yesterday, but that's you know, five months ago. And um, so I've been down there putting the work in there, and we've, we've uh, had a great response. It's just been a real blessing to work with the kids downstairs and, and to see our volunteers growing uh, in their own personal ministries. And uh, so I just wanted to take a minute to you know, thank those individuals that volunteer they're watching online or hearing on the radio today. Uh, just wanted to thank them personally uh, for all the time and effort they put in. And that's certainly something we want to relaunch here in the first service as well. So if you guys are interested in getting involved with children's ministry and we can get something started in first service, uh, please see me after, after this morning's service. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series titled Rebuilding from Ruins. And if you missed the past few weeks, this is the fourth week of it, I would encourage you to revisit those first three uh, sermons on our website, gracefellowship.online, um, to, to kind of get uh, some, some background about where we're at right now this morning. Uh, and the announcement guys are pretty good too, so you may want to check that out. Uh, Pastor Mark has been walking us through the book of Ezra, and he's been teaching us how to rebuild from things that have been ruined. Uh, rebuilding from ruined things in our lives like ruined dreams, ruined relationships. And last week we even talked about ruined worship. And I want to begin this morning by kind of going back to where he left off in chapter 3, at the very end of chapter 3, verse 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open those up. Uh, if you're new with us, there should be a Bible in your pew. Uh, go ahead and open up to Ezra in the Old Testament. Uh, and we just ask that you leave those Bibles on the pew so we can clean them off between services. Um, we also have our notes page online, on our online bulletin, if uh, you want to follow along, if you have a tablet or cell phone with you. All right, so I'm going to be kicking off this morning in Ezra 3, verse 13. And it says this, No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. See, things were happening in Israel. It was getting pretty exciting. There was a celebration taking place, and people could hear it from far away. There was tears of joy and tears uh, from what the old temple used to be and how they remembered that to be. And there was a celebration taking place, all because of this foundation that was being laid down for the new temple the Lord's temple, and I think we can relate to that, right? For many of us, we've been patiently waiting for several years now for this foundation to be laid down for a new sanctuary, and it's exciting to be a part of that. We can feel it building up, and I just want to tell you this morning, when exciting things are happening for the Lord, when God's people are doing his work, there's going to be opposition, and that's what we're going to talk about here a little bit this morning. Stop, Satan is going to try to attack. He's going to try to stop what is going on. And that's what was taking place here. The people in the region that were the enemies of the Israelites were starting to take notice. They could hear the commotion and they didn't like it at all. And so the enemies of the Israelites tried to stop it. Before we get started, I know Pastor Mark's uh, prayer kind of get interrupted there. So I just want to turn the service over to God uh, and, and go to him and, and uh, invite him into this place this morning. Would you pray with me? 
Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We thank you for the technology for those gathered online this morning on our website and on Facebook. We thank you that we're able to physically gather here this morning in person, and we have the freedom to do that. So right now, we just invite you into this house of worship. We know that where two or more gathered, you're going to be with us, so we just invite you into this place. Speak to our hearts. Don't let my words be spoken this morning, but just let your words be spoken to the hearts of the people listening and watching this morning. And we'll give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning I want to spend our time together talking about what kind of opposition we might expect when we're following God's will. When we are doing his good work, and I'm going to break it down into three major strategies that the enemy will take to stop whatever rebuilding process we're trying to walk through in our lives. And hopefully I'll give you some pieces of advice, we'll learn something together to help us overcome those strategies to stop the rebuild. So let's pick up here in chapter 4, we're in verse 1, we're just going to read the first three verses in Ezra. Chapter 4, it says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esahardan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. In these first three verses, uh, they can be a little bit confusing, right? I mean, uh, Ezra here in the first verse is describing this enemy of Israel, of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And, um, so why would an enemy of the Israelites want to help them rebuild the temple, right? And on the other side of things, you know, if they're willing to lend an extra hand, I mean, why not just let them help? I mean, I, we got a building project going on here. I think if we had a couple people from the community that want to help uh, lay some blocks down, I don't think any of us would be opposing that, right? So it seems a little odd on both sides from both perspectives of what's going on here. Um, but not if you understand who the enemy was that Ezra was describing here. Because the enemy that Ezra was referring to in verse 1 is the Samaritans. And we know that title. We know that name from Jesus' parable about the Good Samaritan. And we know that the Jews and the Samaritans despised one another. They did not like one another, right? So how did that all come to be? Well, when the uh, Assyrians took over the northern kingdom of Israel, they actually intermarried with the Jews. And the descendants of the Assyrians and the Jewish people became known as the Samaritans. Which really sheds a little light on, if you think about it, why so many of the Jewish people had an issue with and understanding this concept that Jesus came for all of us. He came to die for all of our sins, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, the sinners, the white, the black, the yellow. He came for all of mankind, not just the Jews. Because they had a hard time understanding because these Samaritans were the result of the sins of God's chosen people, the Jews. 
So these Gentiles, these Samaritans, offered to help rebuild the temple. And what's the big deal? I mean, why does it matter if they lend a hand? And it mattered to the Jewish people because of obedience. Their obedience was being tested. And the Jewish people had experienced firsthand over the years where disobedience to God had gotten them. And that's exactly why they were rebuilding the Lord's temple in the first place. Their disobedience led to God allowing them to be ripped from their homes, sent into captivity, their city destroyed, the Lord's temple destroyed. And now the enemy is attacking them again in seemingly a subtle way to us. But it wasn't subtle to the Jewish leaders in the story at all. They remembered the Lord's instructions to Moses when they first fled captivity from the Egyptians. And these words resonated with the Israelites. And they remembered that throughout the history of their nation, in Exodus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Lord instructed them over and over not to intermarry, not to make treaties with other nations, because they were a holy people. They were the Lord's chosen people. They were sanctified, set apart for God, and they still are to this day. And so what doesn't seem like a big deal to you or I was a huge deal to these Jewish leaders that are trying to learn to be obedient to God again. They're trying to follow God's instructions. And here come the Samaritans, which are a visual representation of their past sin. And that would be like us as we're laying down this foundation for this new sanctuary. And, you know, this amazing group of carpenters just happens to roll into town and offer a lending hand. And uh, they promise they can have this building up in three days. They'll do it free of charge. But, oh, yeah, they just happen to be Satan worshipers, right? I mean, what's the problem there? They're giving us an extra hand. The problem is obedience, disobedience to God. And the solution to that problem is faithfulness to God. We have to fight that threat of disobedience to God with faithfulness to God. Because your loyalty to God will be contested continuously. And we have to learn how to be faithful people, how to be faithful followers of Jesus, to follow God's will, to live the life that he has planned out for us. But how, how are we going to do that? How do we remain faithful to God's will? How do we even know what God's will is for our life? I mean, if I'm considering a new career choice or uh, relocating or where my kids should go to school or maybe even if I should attend this event because it may be unsafe. That's a very uh, real decision my wife and I made recently. Uh, we were signed up back in September to go to the prayer march in D.C., and when we first signed up over the summer months, we were really excited about it. We were excited to take the girls. And as it got closer and closer to that event, and the unrest in uh, many of our cities across the nation grew, uh, it, we gave, became a little uneasy about the whole thing. Now, should we take our girls? Should we even go ourselves? Is it safe enough to go ourselves? And here's what I learned throughout that experience and many others like it. The first thing, whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to decide on, whatever decision you're making, an important decision in life, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, is it contradictory to Scripture? If I'm going to be faithful to God, I have to be faithful 
to the Word of God, studying His Word, because God's will for my life can't be contradictory to His instructions for my life. And yet so many Christians don't read the Bible consistently, or they maybe try to modify God's words into their lifestyle and the decisions they want to make. They think that some of the verses are factual and true, but others are just stories. And, and we know that God breathed through all Scripture. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. All Scripture is from the breath of God. Not just some of it, all of it. And it's useful for what? For teaching, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. So if we're to know what God wants us to do, we first need to follow the instruction manual he gave us. And as we were preparing for this event, there was a passage that kept resonating in my heart. It kept coming to me daily. And many of you guys know this heart by this verse by heart. Some of you maybe have never heard it before. Uh, it actually comes from 2 Timothy 1.7. And it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I think the last seven months, that's probably a verse that many of us have had to remind ourselves consistently. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And if I hadn't been in the Word, if I hadn't been studying the Word and known my Scripture, maybe I wouldn't have had that experience with that verse in this moment, in this situation. So we need to be good stewards of God's word. And if you're doing that, if you're in the word, you're following his word, you're studying it consistently, and you're still uncertain of what decision you should make in an important life decision, the next piece of advice I would give you is pretty simple. Just ask. Simply ask God about it. Have you talked to God about this situation? You know, that is something that we as Christians make so complicated, but it's really not. It's so simple. In fact, Jesus told us in Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Because God wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. He wants you to go to him in your time of need when you're seeking guidance and advice and direction in your life. Just ask. Seek. The answers, and you will find them. And I never once went to God in a situation like this one and not been provided an answer in some way or another. And yet it took so long for me personally to figure that part out. You know, God will guide you. He will direct you, and he will provide you with wisdom if you just have the courage to ask him for it. In fact, in John 6, 12, 16, 12, rather, Jesus said this. When he, the spirit of truth, he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Not some truth, not some of the time. He's going to be there for you all the time if you ask him and guide you into all truth. He will provide you with the answers that you need if you have the courage to have a personal relationship with him and lean on him and ask him, and it's that simple. And if it weren't so, Jesus wouldn't have said that it was, right? And so in this particular situation, as, as the day was getting closer, it was actually that week, that Tuesday, and, uh, you know, that's what we, we began to do the first, you know, weeks leading up to that. 
And I remember that Tuesday distinctly. We sat down, my wife and I and our children, and we prayed together as a family. And God eased all of that tension and fear in our hearts. He removed the unrest from our hearts. And we knew that God wanted us to participate in this event. And I'm so thankful that we did. I'm so thankful that we had the courage to go to him and just ask. Because it was an amazing opportunity for my girls to, to witness, to pray with their friends, with other believers. It was an amazing experience. And we wouldn't have had that experience if we would have not had the courage to ask God for advice. We have to fight the devil's temptation of disobedience with faithfulness to God through his word and through prayer. The second wave of opposition that the Israelites experienced here in our story was uh, as they were trying to rebuild the temple was this opposition of chaos. And I think that's something we know a little bit about as well, right? That's what we've been living in for the last seven months. It's been a little chaotic. So let's pick up here in our story in verse 4 and see how this took place. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the king, um, reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they actually hired contractors to create unrest, to create chaos, to confuse them. And I would say that that probably sounds a little familiar as well, right? Now, how many of you have felt discouraged over these past seven months? Yeah, I know I have at times, many a time. And I'm sure many of us have been fearful, felt afraid. Maybe uh, you felt fear over this virus and your family members uh, getting it. Maybe fear over what kind of nation that our children are going to grow up in. And maybe fear over our own personal safety. Places that we used to go freely, Pittsburgh and D.C. and these big cities, we're afraid to even go and visit them now. And so in this story, that's what was going on. These enemies contracted people out to frustrate the plans of the Israelites to work against them. And this chaos and this confusion slowed down the progress of the rebuild for the entire reign of Cyrus and Darius, which totaled about 37 years. Can you imagine what we've been through in the last seven months going on for 37 years? When we are faithful to God, when we are following his will, when good things are happening for the kingdom of God, the enemy will send chaos. And we have to stay focused. And, and, you know, I think the chaos that we've experienced for the past seven months is pretty obvious. I think we've all felt it. Uh, it's pretty easy to get distracted and lose sight of God's plans for our lives when we're dealing with a pandemic, when we're dealing with an election and riots and everything else that we've had to deal with over the past seven months. But I want to explain to you for a minute, maybe a little, uh, a little more subtle way, that the enemy can come at us 
and help us to create chaos in our own mind to lose focus on our plans that God has created for us. This past week, Pastor Mark and I traveled to Ocean City, Maryland. We had a three-day pastor's retreat um, where about 85 people were in attendance there. And they were mostly pastors and their wives. And, uh, you know, first, before I share this story with you, I want to tell you that we belong to an amazing fellowship of churches, the Karis Fellowship. I had the opportunity to meet with pastors all up and down the northeastern coast from Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, even as far as Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, these men are amazing people, compassionate people. I had the opportunity, Pastor Mark and I did one morning, to eat breakfast with our executive director over the whole National Cares Fellowship, Phil Sparling and his wife. And they were incredibly humble and they're supportive of things that are happening in this church right now. It was an amazing opportunity and it was kind of a relief, a stress reliever to be able to reconnect with many of these men and talk about the exciting things that God is doing throughout all of our churches across the nation. But you've probably experienced something like this in your life, maybe a work conference, maybe first day at college, um, you know, maybe uh, first, first day on a new job, something like that, where you look around the room and you feel subpar, to say the least, right? I mean, there are guys in this room at that conference that were planning churches, they were working in the inner cities. They were missionaries taking the gospel to places it had never been before. And, you know, it's easy to start losing sight of the plans that God has for your own life. You look at these people and say, man, that would be cool to do. That would be an amazing opportunity. And again, don't misunderstand me here. This is an internal battle that's taking place. There's nothing that these men did. In fact, they were incredibly supportive and humble and the entire theme of the retreat was building relationships. But there is this internal battle that the enemy will create. And we, we, we're on God's path. We know what that path is for our life. And we start to lose sight of it. We start questioning it. And we say all of a sudden, you know, wouldn't it be pretty cool to go there? Wouldn't it be nice to leave my company and go be the VP of this company? Wouldn't it be good to have a nice yacht down by the bay? Saw a lot of those while we were there, right? But that's not God's plans for my life. And maybe I think that was what was happening here in this story, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more subtly. I mean, I know that God told us to rebuild this temple and make it a certain way, but shouldn't we really focus on the kids' playground? Shouldn't we have an amazing park outside for them first? You know, maybe we should pick out the 24-karat gold altar instead of the silver one, right? Should we have skylights or stained glass windows? You know what? Maybe I'll just take over the project myself. I'll be the foreman. I will take care of this, right? And I think that's probably a lot of the chaos that was happening here. It was subtle. They were questioning God's plans. And so it slowed down the build. The progress was hindered. And we can't allow this chaos to occur in our lives, to hinder our ministries, to hinder God's plans for our lives. Because if we do, here's what's going to happen. God's going to move on. God's plans are going to get done, and someone else will pick up our plans. They'll pick up our shovel. 
that will receive our spiritual gifts, and he will continue his work. Because nothing can stop the will of God. Right? So that was what was happening here, and 37 years go by, and the chaos isn't stopping the work, but it's slowing it down. So the enemies are starting to get frustrated a little bit more, and they send this third attack, this third wave of opposition to stop the rebuild. And this time, the enemies of Judah, they write to King Artaxerxes, urging him to help with their cause. You know, it's kind of cute. They're kind of like pen pals, and, you know, they're getting frustrated here, so let's write a, a letter to the king. Let's remind him how evil the Jewish people are, right? They have this troublesome history. All they do is revolt against kings and rulers and countries that have conquered them. So they wrote this letter. They urged the king to stop the rebuild of the temple to help their cause. And the king writes back a letter. He does a little research. He wants to figure out what's really going on there. He does a little background. And then he writes a letter back. And that's where I want to pick up. If you move ahead to verse 19. Chapter 4, verse 19. He says, I issued an order and a search was made. And it was found that the city does have a long history of revolt against kings and has been place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole trans-Euphrates, and taxes, tribute, and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work, so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? As soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Reum and Shimshai, the secretary, and their associates, they, were immediately, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And when the temptation of disobedience didn't work, when the chaos only slowed down the work, the final strategy was to use the strength of the king's army, to use force. And finally, they succeeded. The work when the temple of the God in Jerusalem stopped. And it didn't get restarted again for about 10 years because the Israelites worried about their own priorities, their own houses, instead of staying committed to the work of the Lord. So my question for you this morning as we begin to slow down and wrap things up here is, what is physically keeping you from rebuilding in your life? From following God's plans for your life? You know, for some of you, maybe it really is a physical ailment. You're battling a sickness and you're going through treatments for that. Maybe for... Some of you, your fear has actually overcome you. You can't even find the strength to leave your home and get things that are essential. Groceries, food, clothing. You have someone else do it because fear has overcome your life. And maybe you're in a situation where you say to yourself, I just physically can't do it anymore. I'm past my prime, so to speak. You know, one of my favorite passages, I want to share it with you here this morning, is found in the book of Joshua. You can 
go uh, to your left in your Bible to the book of Joshua. It's, a, it's about a, a man that, that I admire because his name's Caleb, for one. But this story, every time I read about it, it gives me encouragement, it gives me strength for whatever I'm facing. And it's found in Joshua 14, and I'm going to start in verse 10. I actually have it highlighted in my book because I visit often. I love this story. In Joshua 14, starting in verse 10, it says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. Forty-five years Caleb waited to enter the promised land, patiently. And now, he says, so here I am today, 85 years old. He was 40 when he started this journey. 45 years later, 85 years old, and he says this, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. And every time I read that passage, it gives me chills. I want to go hit the weights, I want to go work out, I'm ready to go. Right, Because this man, who was about my age, waited patiently for 45 years, and it didn't matter what happened, what battles he faced in life, he's the same today at 85 as he was when he was 40. And for me, that passage is what I want to be. That's what I aspire to be. It's the standard that I want to set for myself. I want to be mentally, spiritually, and Lord willing, even physically, prepared to face any battle that comes my way in any stage of life. But the only way that we can even have a chance of achieving that goal is by staying faithful, staying focused, and staying committed to God's plan. How do we do that? That's a pretty lofty goal. How do we do that? How do we prevent what is attempting to stop the rebuild in our lives? How can we remain faithful to God, stay focused on his plans, and stay committed to achieving them? And for me, I think it really comes down to two simple words that Jesus instructed us over and over during his ministry. His words are this, follow me. See, when he put his super team together, when he built this team of disciples, he hand-selected 12 men And he told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, follow me and let the dead bury their own. And these collection of men, they seemed ordinary enough. They were fishermen, they were tax collectors, zealots, and tradesmen. But God hand-selected them. He had a mission for their lives. He selected them to follow the path to the cross and to the beginning of the Christian church. Could he have accomplished this mission without them? Absolutely. But they couldn't have achieved and accomplished their mission without him and without each other. They failed miserably over and over in life without him and without each other. And that is why Jesus brought them together to form those relationships. And that's why God has brought us together in this place at this time, to form those relationships as a church body. 
The enemy will do whatever he can to test our obedience, to create chaos, and to physically separate us from gathering together. But we can follow him faithfully. We can stay focused on his plan, and we can stay committed because there are strength in numbers. We know that. Where two or more are gathered, that's where he's at with us. Two are better than one, and three is not easily broken. And as much as the world wants to divide us, to separate us, to confuse us, to create chaos in our lives, we need each other now more than ever. You know, if you're a believer in Christ, you can't do this thing on your own. I think we realized that before, but now we really understand it. We can see God's attack, or the enemy's attacks on God. We can see him trying to physically separate us and create chaos even amongst ourselves over an election, over things that are right and wrong. We need to do this thing together, and yet so many of our churches across the nation are shut down. Not able to see many of our family members in person, in nursing homes, or in the hospitals. And God created us to be personal, to have personal relationships, to learn and to grow together. And if there's anything that I've learned over these past seven months, it's the importance of relationships. The relationship that I have with God is a necessity. The relationship with my wife and my children, my entire family, my mom and my dad and my sisters and my niece, my nephews, so important. The relationship I have with my family at church. This week, the relationship that was rekindled amongst my fellow pastors is so necessary because it's how I learn, it's how I grow in my relationship with God. It's how I gain strength. And maybe for you this morning, if you're here in person, if you're watching online or listening on the radio, Maybe for you, the start of that rebuilding process is finally accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if that's you, I would love to help walk you to him this morning. I would love to pray with you this morning. I would love to help you meet Jesus for the first time because he's inviting you to the cross this morning. And if you're watching online or listening on the radio, give me a call this week. Send me an email. I'll sit down and talk with you and help you meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the healer of all things. He's the rebuilder of all things. He doesn't tear down walls. He builds them up. And we have to remain faithful. We have to stay focused. And we have to stay committed to his plan for your life. Because there's nothing better. There's nothing more fulfilling in life than following him faithfully.